This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, this is Robert Duncan McNeil, also known as Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager. You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Today is Part 3 in our series on Harlan Ellison as an Outer Limits writer, and we are going to be looking at his second Outer Limits episode, Demon with a Glass Hand. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we're joined by Tisto of Tisto.com. How's it going, Tisto? Great. Nice to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Now, usually you're doing audio commentaries of some sort, correct? Yep. Now, when we say that, that 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 Tisto does audio commentaries, now Max and I do audio commentaries, right? But Tisto does audio commentaries. <laughs> I mean, he puts us to shame. Oh, he puts the emphasis on the audio. He 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 just, he puts the <laughs> emphasis on the quality, you know. That's the thing, and I mean, if you want to listen to some 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 you know major league audio commentaries, well, sure. If you want necessarily if you a commentary for major league, right? I think that it's required <laughs> no. that you have to do a commentary for major league. Um, <laughs> but he definitely has the most that you can learn. Yeah, you absorb a lot of information, and I've, it works really well. I've said I've said this a bunch of times before, and I'm, I'll say it a bunch more. But you know, I'm a huge fan of Empire Strikes Back, and yes. I've read a lot of reviews and a lot of critiques. And I can honestly say that Tisto's commentary of Empire Strikes Back is one of the most insightful analyses of that film that I've ever come across. That's totally well, true. Yeah. That being well. said, not enough jokes in it. Not <laughs> enough jokes, probably, yeah. But you're, you're also on our, our, our big Star Trek VI commentary that had a million people on it, and that's, that that's a, was, was quite entertaining as well. So check out Tisto, Tisto.com. T-Y-S-T-O dot com. Yeah, I'm a good fan of the original series of Star Trek, and uh, I'm certainly familiar with uh, some of the other uh, TV uh, shows, but, but uh, I've only done commentaries for the for the original series movies. But you're a fan, pri- oh, so you're primarily a fan of the original series? Yeah, at this point, I think, yeah. Okay, so um, I'm sure that you've seen City on the Edge of Forever at some point in time, correct? Harlan Ellison's yes. episode? yep. What are your thoughts on that? That was a that was a great episode. Emotionally, one of the strongest stories I think because of the, the they kind of lose, they kind of fail in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, that's yeah. definitely true. So, so what about Harlan Ellison? Are you familiar with his work uh, elsewhere, or just sort of a passing um, thing, or 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 what? Um, I'm yeah, I'm familiar with him in a passing way. Um, I know that he was he wrote for Star Trek and that he wrote other uh, science fiction stuff. And I had never seen, until we started talking about this, I had never seen uh, his Outer Limits stuff. Although I watched that show, uh, again, in reruns when I was a kid, um, a bit here and there. I may, I may even have seen one of those, either Soldier or uh, Demon with a Glass Hand, 
when I was a kid and just not remembered it. But uh, I, I revisited both of those and, and uh, found them really interesting. I know him mostly, actually, from his uh, lawsuit with uh, James Cameron over uh, the Terminator. Yes, yes, which we talked about last week uh, in regards to Soldier. So this week we're talking about his second episode, Demon with a Glass Hand. It aired in season two as well, 1964. It was directed by Byron Haskin and stars Robert Culp of I Spy. Um, he won the Writers Guild of America Award for Best TV Anthology Episode uh, that year for this for this episode. And uh, Max, would you like to give a synopsis? Um, I can, yeah, I can try. It's kind of weird. Um, the it, I mean, the, the episode opens with a whole bunch of things that are essentially just strange and mysterious. Uh, elements. There's there's a guy. He has a glass hand with lights in it, and there are people wearing a lot of eyeshadow trying to kill him. And it turns out that the people who have a lot of eyeshadow are are Kaibans, and that in the distant future, the Earth, uh, the Earth and Kaiba, or whatever the planet's called, I think it's Kaiba. Yeah, they're in a war, and. There is this ongoing Earth Kaiban war, and the demon with a glass hand. It turns out he's a robot that has all of the human population of the future imprinted on a coil in his body. I mean, my God, it's crazy complicated, <laughs> and it's actually and it's actually just one part of a rather humongous Earth Kaiban war like meta story that Harlan Ellison has been writing for decades. Yeah, and we can get into that a little bit later on. Um, but it is it's it is a it's essentially you know a, an android who is not a Terminator being hunted by aliens who are biological organisms in present day, and they're all from the future. Yes, and there's the, the it basically is a chase movie show. Yeah whatever you want to call it but chase uh, novel yeah he's be, <laughs> he's he's on the run but instead of being on the run uh, across the country he's on the run in that building from blade runner yes he's on a he's on a <laughs> the same building yeah it is yeah. yeah which we can also get into the bradbury building yes he's on a vertical run so tisto what what are your thoughts on uh on demon with a glass hand it is crazy complicated. I wonder what audiences at the time thought of it. I mean, uh, you know, this is a time when when uh, westerns were very popular, and I think Beverly Hillbillies was probably the most popular TV show. I just can't imagine what they w- must have thought uh, watching this thing. This guy talking to a, a a hand that's constantly making the like, the, you know, the the metal sign until he gets the <laughs> extra fingers stuck yeah. onto it. And uh, pulling people's uh, uh, necklaces to send them back to the future or kill them or something. Just sort of bizarrely complicated. And Robert Culp is just acting his heart out as best he can. Was that guy ever a dancer? Because there's kind of some dance moves in there sometimes. It makes me wonder. But it's doing its very best to present a, a fantastical science fiction world. And to me, it doesn't... It doesn't quite make it, partly because, when, especially once you find out he's a robot, you kind of go, well, robots don't have much in the way of emotions, so, you know, good luck to you, Robert Culp. 
for the next 1,200 years. <laughs> okay. Well, what about you, Max? I think that there's a lot of really amazing things in it, and I think that, um, like, I've, I've, I've analyzed a lot of, you know, Harlan Ellison works from a lot of different angles, but I am sort of fascinated by his sort of, like, ethical perspective and the way he tries to address, like, philosophical concepts of morality and ethics. And this one is actually kind of, it's not particularly nuanced with its, its, its like, moral and ethical argument. It's, it's actually more like a primer on how to make an incredibly complicated moral and ethical argument that makes sense in a scientific context. Because if you can understand all of the moving parts of Demon with a Glass Hand, you can figure out what City on the Edge of Forever is about. But okay. it is crazy complicated. And there are things about this episode that really infuriate me. Like the idea that these guys go back in time with these necklaces and then if you take the necklace off, they're flung back to the future because the necklace is a tether to the present day. But they brought the necklace with them from the future. Come on! <laughs> and, and they don't tuck it into their shirts. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just crazy. It's just crazy. But the, um, the, 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 the two things that I really don't like about this episode, one, that the narrator says Sumerican. <laughs> I, the first time I heard that, I thought, is that a thing? And then a few years went by and I watched it again and I was like, I don't think that's a thing. And then one day I was like, that's definitely not a thing. That's just a mistake. And the other one is the incredibly over-the-top reaction that, um, I can't remember the woman's name. Maria, I think? That's probably it. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, she, she reacts to the, revel the, the, the reveal that he's an android with such horror. Like, Consuelo, oh no! Sorry. Consuelo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She reacts so over-the-top to the idea that he's an android and just, like, runs away in terror. Like, oh no, a machine that can talk. <laughs> that's terrifying i'm so scared because of machines bad i i could see that being terrifying i don't get it man she just fought a bunch of dudes from the future with magic necklaces i guess so i guess <laughs> at that point yeah. she fell in love with him in like five minutes yeah, yeah. what's how is how is it how is him like you know having servos and light bulbs in his chest any weirder or scarier than, um, like, alien dudes with eyeliner trying to kill her from the future, wearing, like, spandex, like, not like cat suits. Yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird half or hour of television, I guess. You know, um, I, I thought it was, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was okay, but I guess it had been built up so much. I had heard so, so many people talk about Demon with the Glass Hand with such, uh, reverence for years that i was expecting you know something on on the level of city on the edge of forever i guess is what i was really expecting and i think the end result was just okay you know like what is it maybe you guys can help me out like what is it that makes this episode so great or that what what is it that people respond to um that that makes it you know considered to be one of maybe the finest hours in science fiction television. I think the reveal at the end, um, there's an emotional component to that, you know, where he discovers that everything he 
believes about himself is false. And he actually has, he, you know, he's built for a special purpose, and that purpose is saving the entire population of Earth. Like, that's, you know, in 1966, that's a pretty heavy concept to, to wrap your mind around. And the idea that he has to just sort of be uh, like this, this sentinel holding all of the population of Earth for thousands of years, that's, that's a horrifying concept. And, and at the same time, really fascinating. Because it's, it's in a really weird way, like it's also about the idea that we're all sort of responsible for the future. And, yes. and, and like, it would be easy to be overwhelmed by that and give up, but nobody can. So we, we, we pretend that that's not what's really going on, and we focus on the task at hand of sending people who wear too much makeup to the future. <laughs> that's a really good point, and, and it, it actually negates what I was going to say that, about the show that I, that I didn't like, which is most great science fiction is great, especially hard science fiction, especially from the, from the old days, is great because it uh, is really talking about our own time, and it's, it, it, there are, it, it fictionalizes elements that are maybe too difficult for us to process about our own time because we have our own you know, prejudices and our own built-in context. If you take away that context and you put it in a foreign alien context, um, you can process it better or in a different way. And I thought, this is just too complicated for that to be the case here. But you've pointed out a very, very good point. The theme is we are all responsible for the future in one way or another. And, you know, his character is literally responsible for the future of mankind. Yeah. But at the same time, just because we're responsible for the future doesn't mean we know how our actions will result, how, what, how they will affect the future. We just have to do the best we can. And, like, that's an actually really weird thing that's in all of Harlan Ellison's, like, major successful works. In a lot of things that he talks about, he, he, he brings up the idea that we're responsible for the future, but we cannot know what it is. I mean, I guess I kind of see all that, and maybe it is just a, a case of me not being able to place myself in that time period. I think, I think also there's an aspect of it which is um, sort of, I mean, like, I can think of like a musical analogy where it's like, you know, like you can, you can listen to a Beatles album, and if you don't really know much about, you know, like the origin of rock and roll and like where that came from and how it developed, you might not understand how Revol Revolver was a humongous deal because it didn't just do something really well, it did new things really well and, and changed the rules. Mm -hmm. And this Pet is sounds, one of those. Yeah, Pet Sounds is an even better example in that way. You read, you listen to Pet Sounds. Revolver is a great album even today. But you listen to uh, Beach Boys' Pet Sounds, and you go, "That's not really all that great." But it was, it was revolutionary at the time. This, you're, you're right. I mean, 1964. It's, it's, gosh, it's you know, shortly after. Uh, it's less than a year after the, the uh, death of uh, John Kennedy, and mm -hmm. it's in the middle of the, the the Cold War. Everybody's thinking about the future. Everybody's thinking about. Um, uh, the destruction of the human race, and uh, there were there were plenty of things like failsafe, for example, that dealt with that directly. And it's it's hard to do that and not make people think, well, we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. But if you rip it that out of context, 
and you you say it's you know humans versus kaibans, you can sort of uh, uh, evaluate the the moral aspects more interestingly. I think, yeah, that's a good point. So, okay, I have a question here. Maybe I'm just dumb. I don't know. But what exactly does the title mean? Demon with a glass hand. Hmm. I, Consuela's view of him by the end, maybe. Well, well I think that there's or the Kaiban view of him. I think I think that I think that there's, there's a little bit of both of those, and also the idea that uh, he is he, he's sort of like a modernized version mm-hmm. of the the immortal man, and like it's mentioned in the in the opening narration and during that mispronunciation of a very oh, famous word. Um, the the idea that like this is this is a guy who's immortal and he's not entirely human and and the idea that he's you know he's just a demon with a glass hand it's a, it's a it's a it's a monster in the night he's a he's a monster in the night he might be a good monster but he's definitely a monster so if this were a season 1 episode he would be the bear as they say yes okay is there a bit of uh, i am legend in in that do we think I think there's, there's that's def, there's definitely they're operating on on similar things, the idea of of you know, like the lone, essentially guardian of everything, yeah, without much respect that you'd expect from the title. Mm-hmm. When you guard everything, you'd think you have like a throne or like a really cool hat. He doesn't have that at all. He just has a <laughs> stupid got a windbreaker. He's got a hand that doesn't even grab. Well, you know, something that. Uh I think, Max, you brought up, but this is part of the Earth-Kaiba War, and this is not the only time that the Earth-Kaiba War is mentioned in Harlan Ellison's uh, stories. There were a number of short stories which he wrote. Um, I'm not really sure if they were written before or after. Oh, I guess they were before, yeah, some of them before, some of them after, Um yeah, it was a thing he was doing for a big chunk of time. Yeah, the four... Well, there's five stories. Run for the Stars, Life Hutch, Untouchable Adolescence, Trojan Hearse, and Sleeping Dogs. Are these all short stories? Yeah, they're all short stories. They were originally in various magazines and stuff like that, and they were adapted into a comic book. Um, and released in 1987, um, which seems to be the way to get them. I mean, there's not really a... It looks like the short stories themselves are not really available, and the comic book definitely seems to be Harlan Ellison approved. So perhaps that's the best way to... uh, Yeah, Harlan Ellison was all over comic books. Still all over comic books. Yeah. There's a two-page introduction also telling the background of the Earth-Kaiba War and leading into the first story. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, I, that, that sounds really cool to me. And I like the idea of this sort of, like, guy who's writing an, an ex- expanded continuity. And, you know, it, it, it actually, that seems way ahead of its time where he's uh, even crossing it over into different media and stuff like that. You know, he's got the, the comic book. Well, uh, at the time, I guess there were short stories. and Yeah, and uh, there's a precedent for it, but Harlan Ellison was certainly more successful than what H.P. Lovecraft did. Yeah, yeah. 
That's true. Oh, yeah. I mean, if he if if Lovecraft got like a got like a studio like contract, he would he would have definitely put Cthulhu in some movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Now, Max, have you read the comics or the short stories or anything, or are you? Just I remember the comics. I remember a lot of Harlan Ellison comics, but um, like the, the problem with Harlan Ellison's body of work is that it's much too large to absorb it all, uh, unless you live in a library and if you do you should do that because that would be cool uh but it's really hard to get a hold of a lot of his things because he's been working for so long doing so many amazing things and if you pick up one giant book you'll be satisfied because there's amazing stuff throughout he's got humongous compilations and if you can find them in a bookstore most likely a used bookstore you can go through like edgeworks and stuff and you'll find amazing things or on audible.com we'll get yep. into that later now um the these yeah it looks like it was printed uh well like kamiko or comico i don't know how they pronounced it back then they printed the original version then it was graffiti did a hardcover of it which was signed and numbered um but both of those were released in 1987 and I don't know if they've been re-released, so it might be hard to track down, but uh, perhaps worth it, especially if you're a fan of Demon with a Glass Hand. Now, that wasn't going to be the last time that he dealt with this. In fact, there was talk back in the 90s that he was going to write a, a sequel to Demon with a Glass Hand as an episode of Babylon 5. Yeah, that mm, there's there's some conflict there. Well, there's, there's there are two different stories, and I don't believe either one. Okay, well, he apparently because he, he said he has since said this is I'm reading off of Wikipedia here. Uh, he, he has since said that he never had any such intentions, and it was just his friend Straczynski's wishful thinking. However. This directly contradicts a quote he made in a behind-the-scenes book about Babylon 5 writing, written during the show's third season. And here's the quote. I want very much to write this script, and Joe very much wants it, and I think it probably will get written during the next season, but one never knows. I don't want to promise, because if you promise, then all of a sudden fans on the internet start screaming, Well, where is it? Where is it? Why doesn't he do it? Why isn't he doing it? He's late again. He's late again. And then I have to get cranky, go to their house, and nail their heads to a coffee table. So, that to me sounds like he was planning on doing it. Sure. <laughs> well, certainly they were talking about it, and yeah, it, it could have happened. <laughs> but, but yeah. I mean, you know, I don't think he ever nailed anyone's head to a coffee table. Right, so he probably didn't promise. Right. I wonder why they wouldn't do that. Why they wouldn't do the sequel to Demon with a Glass Hand? Yeah. Uh, there's, there are a thousand reasons to do it and a thousand reasons to not do it. <clears throat> I mean, like, the, like uh, honestly, I still, I'm still shocked that like, he was able to, to do an Outer Limits story, establish a continuity, and also write about it in other things. The, I, I mean, like, that, that seems like a, like a dangerous road. I'm surprised that the, the producers in the studio would allow like, an, uh, an intellectual property to be in the hands of the writer rather than the show. It sounds like he <clears throat> he's very protective of his copyrights. You know, like I think yeah. I was talking about this recently, but, you know, he did those commentaries for Sci-Fi Buzz, you know, at the end of each episode, which are amazing. And I 
did a search for them on YouTube, and they're all up there, and they were all placed up there by Ellison, and he, you know, said, like, I own the copyright, I want to put these up there, and and he did. And by the way, if you haven't seen those, just type in, you know, like, I think they're called Harlan Ellison is Watching, and uh, they're they're from the Sci-Fi Buzz. Just type in Sci-Fi Buzz Harlan Ellison into YouTube, and they'll all come up, and you'll get these wonderful little two and three minute rants by harlan ellison about pretty much anything you could possibly want him to rant about they are they are really fun and i i remember when i first watched them when i first watched sci-fi buzz it was because i heard harlan ellison did a did a segment on sci-fi buzz and and it was described to me like oh i like sci-fi buzz except for the part where harlan ellison shows up and yells at me for a few minutes (laughs) yeah and i was like that sounds yeah. And it totally is. And I remember one where he yelled about bagels for a while. And that made me so happy. Yeah, they're great. That was my first exposure to Harlan Ellison and I've I've liked him ever since. Cuz that that was the that was the best show. They need to bring that show back. So, so um I I don't know what what now Max, you probably have like what a passing familiarity with Babylon 5, but you haven't seen the whole thing or what? Um, I watched it, you know, regularly in the first couple of years. Okay. What about you, Tisto? Are you a, a Babylon 5 fan? I've never seen anything of it, actually. Okay. So then, Max, I guess this question is for you. Like, how do you feel uh, a, a sequel uh, for, to Demon with a Glass Hand would have worked on Babylon 5? Honestly, it doesn't seem particularly strange. Um, the show didn't like the show had you know standalone episodes where they dealt with other issues. Uh, it got more continuity driven as it went on, but I could easily see Demon with a Glass Hand f- sequel being fit into it. But at the same time, uh, I'm not exactly sure how uh, the timeline seems tricky. Well, Backdoor it- pilot, maybe. <laughs> That would be cool. Yeah. But it does seem like, I mean, that is where, like, like you were Trump saying. goes from town to town. You know, this guy <laughs> is. <laughs> Punching people who wear too much makeup. <laughs> but but this is a case where this guy is needing to protect this for, like you said, like 1,200 years. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you can do things in the future. That to me sounds a lot like, you know, what, what I've always said they should do for, as a sequel to Maltese Falcon, you know? Set it in the present day, make it something. I mean, my go-to is always John Woo action movie, but you could do anything. You could do a horror movie, you could do anything. Maybe it's in the sand in the Ark of the Covenant. Maybe. Maybe. You know? Maybe that's what caused all that stuff. So I, I, I really love that idea of them doing a sequel to this on Babylon 5. I wish they would have done it, even though I've only seen two episodes of Babylon 5. But I'd probably watch more if if I knew that this was a thing. Because you know how much I love continuity. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting prospect. It's you know it it seems a little bit. It seems like an obvious option. I mean, considering that they had Harlan Ellison hanging out there all the time. Yeah, I'm surprised that they didn't do more things like that. Yeah. And by the way, there is an episode of Sci-Fi Buzz where he does rant about how um, some critic in like TV Guide or something like that says that Deep Space Nine is good and Babylon Five is bad. When obviously that's not the case, um, but you know the reason why he did it was because he's friends with the people making Deep Space Nine. So I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just saying, if you want to hear uh, 
Here's some some Harlan Ellison talking about Babylon 5 in relation to Star Trek. Check out the sci-fi buzz stuff. Okay. So like we were saying before, this episode was shot in the Bradbury building. This was actually, this came about because of another Star Trek person, Robert Justman, who was the assistant director on uh, Outer Limits. He, he was obviously the producer on Star Trek. When Ellison originally pitched the idea, it was supposed to be a cross-country chase. Yeah. Justman, being the guy who's in charge of budgets, said, Hey, Harlan Ellison, that's not going to work. Instead of making it a horizontal chase, why not make it a vertical chase? And he apparently took him to the Bradbury building and said, Check this building out. Why don't you write it for this building? And Ellison said, That's a good idea. And he did it. The Bradbury building, even though it has a big sci-fi connection, is... Not that Bradbury. It's, no, it's some uh, silver guy. It's a different Bradbury, but some guy who made a bunch of money on <clears throat> silver in Mexico. Yes, it Louis is L. Bradbury. Wow, that's. Did you know that? No, I just looked it up. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I was going to be like, "You're a demon with a glass hand, and I'm going <laughs> to run away in fear." It, it, it's a it's an office building in in Los Angeles. I think downtown Los Angeles, and it has some very interesting architecture. It's an awesome building yeah and when i saw it in the episode i thought wow that's an awesome building and when i saw blade runner i thought wow that's an awesome building that looks really familiar yeah it's been it's in- weird it, it's a super famous building it's it's absolutely gorgeous on the inside it was designed by a guy named george wyman who i don't think is famous for any other building he's you would think it would be you know a frank lloyd wright work or something like that but uh, this guy is just apparently a, a local local architect at the time so, uh, any uh, final thoughts on this episode? Uh, what about you, Tisto? Uh, I think it's interesting that it's a it's a chase inside a building. Um, it's a, it takes place in modern day, but there's hardly any other people here. I mean, there's only one person in the building for some reason. So it feels like it's already you know a post apocalyptic story. So it has a weird tone in that respect. I wonder what you guys think about that, that fact. I guess that's true. I never really thought of it because they had at least one office that was a front. The the aliens did. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that they had more? Is it possible that all of the offices in that building, and maybe maybe these people were fronts just, for various um, alien, alien species? Yeah. <laughs> and and this one lady, like her lease was going to be up next month. There's a bunch of Vulcans in one of them wearing those like those those knit caps. Right. They're like <laughs> we're totally not aliens, everybody. <laughs> we're just a, we're just regular old accountants. I'm just saying, is, is that a possibility? That's definitely a fact. Okay. All That's right. canon. What about you, Max? Any final thoughts? Um, I, I love a lot about this episode. I love a lot of... Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's so crazy. <laughs> like, I, like at the, at, I, when, I'm, when I imagine people watching it at the time, I, I think, uh, like, if I, was, if I was a kid watching The Outer Limits when this was airing, I would have... I would have like turned the TV off afterwards and been like, "I um, that was the oh my god, what just happened? Like all of the rules are gone. Like I need to figure out how this changes things. I'd like go into the kitchen and be like, bananas aren't the same anymore because it's it's hugely intelligent compared to almost everything else. And you would buy yourself a a glass hand 
and and wear that as a Halloween costume, right? I wouldn't buy it. I would make it and then cut <laughs> off my hand. <laughs> and, like, glue it there or something. I don't know how to attach artificial hands. Well, I, I, you know, after talking to you guys, I guess I appreciate this episode more. You know, when I watched it, I, I did enjoy it, but I didn't see what all the hubbub was about. And now I guess, you know, kind of placing it into the proper historical context, I can understand why it is so uh, acclaimed. Although I still don't think it is spectacular, I, I can definitely uh, appreciate it for what it is. So, Tisto, where can people find you? Uh, well, they can go through the time mirror and find me at tisto.com, T-Y-S-T-O dot com. All right. And... Uh, you got tons of commentaries on there, um, lots of Star Trek stuff, well, a few Star Trek things, um, lots of other uh, cool things, like what you've done every single James Bond movie, is that correct? That's right, yeah, I've done The Terminator and Terminator 2, if you're coming at this from that direction. All right, cool, be sure to check it out, because it is uh, really, really good stuff. It's been fun talking to Tisto about Demon with a Glass Hand, but that's not the only thing we're talking about this week on Trek FM. Here's a look at some of the shows you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Talking Spock with Dave Rossi. But now you add in the wild card for this one character that one of the most emotional races in the universe, human beings is half of what he is. Earl Grey. TNG Introductions. Well, because I, I think Data's Day was actually the one I was thinking of, so since that one's already taken, I might come in at this No, I'll just erase angle. everything that Daniel said. And, uh, <laughs> and just no, go. Daniel, the first time we have a guest. Really? God. Favoritism! No. <laughs> you one-upped her. The Ready Room. The Squire of Gothos. Nobody has that much power. They must have some kind of transporter matter reshaper device and it must be over there because he's hanging out by it. it you know it's a small room what do you expect him to like i'm gonna dance over <laughs> here by the salt vampire i don't <laughs> the orb the minion invasion tactics and bashir says look i know what the orders say but he attacked chief o'brien and we have rules against that sort of thing here so i think that they're trying to figure out yes the federation has rules but how much are they willing to bend the rules depending on how we push their buttons? To the journey! Dealing with the end of Voyager. I've recorded these on tape and they were all kind of out of order. And so I had my own shuffle where I would just, nice. I would just put in a random tape and I would get an episode from season two, season six, and then season three. You know, and it was just really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Just a grab bag. Yeah, it really was. And so that was my way of coping, was just spending time with my friends. <laughs> Warp 5. Season 1, Highs and Lows. He's talking about, uh, it's more of a satiny one. Okay. Pretty plain with the piping over the shoulders in the three colors. Yeah. No, that's a I, good I ordered it, but they they sent me to Paul's cow suit instead. And it doesn't I really know. fit. I know. It so. didn't really hug your curves in the right places, did it? Commentary, Trek Stars. Harlan Ellison's Soldier. It's like Mr. Belvedere, if Mr. Belvedere had really severe PTSD from a war in the future. It's like Small Wonder, but with a Klingon instead of a little girl. It's like Elf, if Elf killed tons of people. <laughs> Literary Treks. David Mack, A Ceremony of Losses. 
and then we color coded it and we started lining up dates and uh, events and saying well this book runs from this date to this date these events in this book happen on these dates so that if you're writing this scene in book two you know that it happens exactly let's say 11 days after this event in book one and that sort of meticulous down to the you know fine detail granular planning became absolutely essential and that's what else is happening on trek.fm so check out these shows and get in on the daily trek talk we have new shows for you every day and you'll find them on itunes stitcher TuneIn, windows phone xbox zune or you can stream and download files from the website just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links Before we'd go, we'd also like you to please support our sponsor who makes it possible for us to bring commentary, Trek stars, and our other shows to you each week. Our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek.fm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read or the latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank you and Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and Trek FM. As always, you can find us on Trek.fm, or you can also find our other show, Commentary, Track Stars, Off Topic, which we do with our friend Brandon, on CommentaryTrackStars.com. You can also find me on Trek FM doing Standard Orbit with Drew, and you can find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. So that's it for this week. We will be back next week to recap Harlan Ellison's work on The Outer Limits.